One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat, but wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. And if Joe Biden thinks bipartisanship is the answer to everything, he is also sorely mistaken. It is a piece of the puzzle. It is not the complete picture. But he is not willing to convey that. Look, it's a it's a hard uphill battle in today's moment. We try to do it. You can't do it in a soundbite and you surely can't do it when you're being defensive and telling Cory Booker, a black man, that he needs to be the one to apologize about this conversation about reparations. Are you kidding me? And he just seems unwilling to listen to his advisors, to shift his approach. And he wants to keep doing the same thing, which is I'm the nice guy. I'm the moderate. I'll get it done. The game has changed, my friend. The game has changed. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Friday, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about our conversation with Mark Charles on Tuesday because we have gotten so much 
and so varied feedback. <laughs> it was some people's favorite conversation. It was some people's least favorite conversation. And we want to explore all of that, particularly because there has been some news that touches on the conversation subjects that we addressed. So we're going to do that. But first, we want to remind you that our 2019 calendar for speaking events is pretty full and we are booking events for 2020 now. So if you would like to have us in your direct world next year, your physical world, for a live podcast or a workshop or a keynote or anything else, please email Elise at pantsypoliticsshow.com as soon as possible. We would hate to miss out on the opportunity to interact with you in your community or your business or your university or your organization. So please contact Elise about that, and we would love to see you next year. We reached out on Instagram and Facebook and asked everybody, what are you still thinking about with regards to our conversation with Mark Charles? And we got such great feedback. Allison said that, like many people, she felt like she wasn't listening to a presidential candidate, but that didn't change the fact that his message and hearing his voice was absolutely needed. And Allison said that she wasn't sure if a campaign as an independent is the best way to get that message across because it's so hard, especially in this cycle. And I think this cycle is presenting a new issue in that there are so many people running that it's even harder to get your voice out there. There, I mean, there's a governor of a state who can't get any media attention in this cycle. Sarah, we didn't get to ask Mark a question that was really on both of our minds, but especially yours, about does he fear being a spoiler? So I wondered if you wanted to flesh that out a little bit more. After talking with him, you know, I didn't ask that conversation while we were talking to him because it became immediately apparent to me that he's probably not worried about being a spoiler because it doesn't seem that he has much of a electoral plan as much as a messaging plan, right? So he is trying to get a very particular message out and a conversation starter. And I don't think a campaign like that is at much at risk as particularly a well-funded independent campaign <coughs> is that is really trying to turn out the vote and is really trying to pull voters away from one of the two parties. So, I, you know, as the more I listened to him, the less I was concerned about something like that. Yeah. And I, I agree. I had a whole slate of policy questions. I mean, we got questions on Twitter and Instagram about what does he think about gun violence? I wanted to ask him what he thinks about abortion based on a talk I heard him give in 2017. And as several people have noted, you know, we ask about Hong Kong and he brought it right back to the issue of what America is doing and how America has historically treated Native people. And that's fine. It's just something I decided and I think Sarah and I decided together in the moment to be respectful of and not try to keep forcing the conversations in directions that he didn't want to go. That doesn't mean those issues are unimportant, but it does mean this is something different. And we wanted to honor what it is that he wants to say, because we do think it's important. And Jonna on Instagram, I think, had the best follow-up question to the conversation we did have and the message he was trying to convey, which she says, I understand the playing field isn't level, but how do we level it? I still can't wrap my brain around reparations as the answer. Giving someone money still isn't going to give them access to the field. And so we want to talk about reparations because that came up in just the the culture at large over the week. But first, I thought Heather had a really beautiful answer on Facebook. She says, after working with the Native community for 15 years, rarely, rarely do you have a Native perspective represented except when it's an issue 
about their culture. Even then, only sometimes. This creates so much ignorance about the Native culture and issues. It begins with listening. And sometimes when those voices have been silenced, massacred, outlawed, and decimated, there is a lot of listening to do, especially at the beginning. Perhaps the dominant culture shouldn't be telling the decimated culture how to communicate their pain, loss, and lamentation. Perhaps first, we should meet them in the field of non-judgment that Rumi speaks about and simply be present, be a witness, hold the lament, and listen. This is where empathy and understanding and change begin. I really love that. Something that I thought a lot about during the conversation, and especially as people wrote in to say, hey, I disagree with what he said about Abraham Lincoln or Ruth Bader Ginsburg or our country as a whole and its moral leadership in the world. I I struggled with some of what he said, too. I also thought about the advice that we've discussed a lot on the show and that we give in our book, that you need to think about whether you're the right person to say something. I'm not an expert on Native culture. I'm a white woman. It just felt to me like I was not the right person to challenge him. And that the first step, I don't have a relationship with Mark Charles. You know, he's not been a listener of our show forever, so he doesn't know kind of what our hearts are in this conversation. And it felt to me like the best thing that we could do in this first discussion with him was make space and listen and do exactly what Heather is advising. And I just think after hundreds of years of that silencing, when we're facing such a deficit with regards to that perspective. I've been listening to the All My Relations podcast on your recommendation, Beth. And one of the hosts is in this the process of literally just creating representation for all the tribes and the communities across the United States, because there is an absence of photography, just mm-hmm. visual images. And so when we're at that big of a deficit, like we're so, so far away from how do we answer this perspective? The perspective needs to fill the space in a way it has not been allowed to do for hundreds of years before we even really get to that point. I mean, I know all of us and myself included, especially as an Enneagram one, I want to step right to the well, what's our action step? What do we do next? And it's so hard for us to say, we're not there yet. We're not ready for that yet. We're not to that point where we're going to talk about the next step and how we, you know, we want to fix it. This is not something we're going to be able to fix. And I think that is actually an interesting transition into this conversation about reparations, because I think in the country For so long, when I was growing up and I would hear that word, it was the idea that we'll cut a check and that'll fix it. And what I am so encouraged by as this conversation has changed, and I'm going to give a massive amount of credit to Ta-Nehisi Coates, the case for reparations, because it definitely changed my perspective. It brought the conversation back. It shifted the perspective. If you have not read it, please do so, because it stops being about slavery still about slavery, but stops being solely about slavery. And he just widens the perspective and and expands this idea of economic damage that's been happening over decades. And I think expanding that conversation even further to the Native population brings even another facet to the conversation in that we've, just like that monopoly analogy that Mark Charles used that I think really connected with so many of you and connected with me, How do we begin to look at this with new eyes? How do we begin to think about the economic exclusion of all these different groups? 
And I think that that's so valuable. You know, I said on Instagram, I think the best way we can mark Juneteenth, which is such an important moment in American history, is to say, hey, we're going to start thinking about this in a real and thoughtful way, which is all that the the hearing that happened, the U.S. House had a hearing on reparations. And really, it's just a legislation to put together a commission to think about reparations. But ta Coates was there and he answered Mitch McConnell's snide comment of, well, that happened before I was born. And I just think like looking at this with fresh eyes and thinking about we're not going to fix it, but we're going to sit with it and we're going to start thinking about what happened, not just with regards to people's liberty and physicality and souls, but these economic damages and take in this information and sit with it and see if there is a path forward to at least begin to address it. I think a commission on reparations is a great idea because there are so many different ways to do reparations Mm -hmm. and we need to thoughtfully consider all of those. I also think that we need to think about how do we first just stop contributing to this monopoly analogy because we are actively doing things that perpetuate inequality through our criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And so how can we, I mean, I I just talked on the Nightly Nuance about Gamble versus United States, which is a Supreme Court decision that came out this week. And it talked about how we have this dual sovereignty concept in the U.S. So this case is a perfect encapsulation of what I mean. You have a guy who has been convicted of robbery before. He gets pulled over in Alabama for a busted headlight. The cop smells marijuana, searches the car, finds a loaded handgun. The possession of that loaded handgun by someone who's been convicted of second-degree robbery violates both Alabama and United States law. And in our country, that's okay. He can be charged and sentenced in both places. I think that that's a good question. Do we have too much federal criminal law where we're duplicating what states do and and in so doing, perpetuating the incarceration of primarily black men in our country? And so how can we stop adding is my first question. And then my second question is, what do we do about the past? And I don't want to try to convince anybody on reparations because I think it is a very fraught conversation and one that we need to have over a long period of time. If I can invite you to think about something today, it is how can we enter that discussion without being defensive, without doing what Mitch McConnell did? I didn't do this, so I shouldn't have to pay for it. What if we drop that? Can we start with, I just want to listen to how people who were not personally enslaved are feeling the impact of slavery? And I just want to listen to how those of us who have never owned slaves perpetuate the ramifications of slavery in our lives. Can we just be open to that conversation? And that, again, is why with Mark Charles, it just felt really important to me to just sit and listen. I think there are some fantastic things about our Constitution. I think there are some fantastic things about our country. And I could feel that defensiveness surfacing in me. And I want to be able to disagree, not from a position of defensiveness. So where I bring a different perspective to the conversation, I want some time to have passed for me to sort out that defensiveness and then say, I accept this part of what you're saying. And here's where I'm struggling, but not do that reflexively. That seems like an excellent 
transition into Joe Biden's comments about reparations. Oh, Joe Biden. He got a little defensive. He's bad at this. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. He's not up for the moment. Read the room, friend. Read the room. He's not reading the room. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now, and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to. Or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit.
So, for those of you who weren't watching Twitter closely on Wednesday, I'm not sure when the fundraiser happened. It was sometime this week. But amidst all this Juneteenth reparations committee hearing discussion, Joe Biden went to a private fundraiser and said, I had this great, you know, we got to work. We got to work. He was doing his moderate thing. We got to work together. But even if we disagree with each other, we got to do stuff together. And he used two examples, a senator from Georgia and a senator from Alabama, I think, who were basically segregationists and said, ter- especially the one from Georgia, terrible Talmadge, I think was his name, terrible, awful things about black people. And so everybody pounced, especially Senator Booker, who has a reparations bill in the Senate and who testified at that hearing and basically said he should apologize. And then somebody asked Joe Biden, are you going to apologize? And he said, no, Cory Booker should apologize. (sighs) And also, it's really interesting. I don't know if you read Politico this morning, but, you know, basically his first of all, Mark Putnam left the sort of Obama's ad guy. He's super admired in the field. He made Jason Kander's blindfold putting the gun together ad. He left. And they're like already basically critiquing each other anonymously to the press, basically critiquing him that everybody had said, stop using this example. It's a bad example. But basically, well, he's once you've been using that example for so long, it's hard to change. And I just want to be like, yeah, that's why he's not a good candidate, because he's been doing this stuff for too long and he doesn't realize things have changed. I was wide open to Joe Biden. I am increasingly put off by mm. the Twitter conversation that that says moderation is terrible and working together is impossible, and people who don't completely endorse every aspect of a very progressive agenda are bad people who should be left behind. I feel that sentiment coming across so strongly, and I am not interested in aligning myself with people who feel that way. Love you. Want to be in relationship with you. Politically, I'm not going to be supportive of that with my dollars or my votes. So I was open to Joe Biden. I am so disappointed by his inability to lead morally when he says that's why he's in this. If he Mm -hmm. came out and said, I'm running for president, despite lots and lots of people running for president who I think would do a good job, because I think I uniquely have the capacity to guide us into a more stable time period, I would be like, yes, I totally agree with that. I get that. What he said is different. He said, I'm running for president because of Charlottesville. I'm running for president because our country needs to be taught how to be kind to one another again. And a big part of doing that is stepping back to assess your own conduct. You have to start with you. We say that about everything. Joe Biden needs to start with Joe Biden. It's not wrong that he worked with these people, perhaps, but he could certainly say, looking back, this looks very different to me. And I have not been mindful of the pain inflicted when I hold up these folks as examples of a better legacy than the one being left by our legislators today. There are so many ways he could talk about this while still saying that bipartisanship is important, but acknowledging that he has learned something over the years. And I feel like with women, with this topic, even on some of the economic stuff, he seems to be incapable of admitting ever that he had a moment that he regrets or that he views something differently today than he did previously. There are two parts of this that just 
add on to the pile of he's out of touch. One, that he keeps going to these and having these big old fancy private fundraisers. Like the game has changed in the Democratic Party. It just has. And you can have a conversation and a disagreement about the role of money in politics. But if you want the nomination inside the Democratic Party, you need to at least acknowledge that there's been a dramatic shift with an approach to fundraising and adapt accordingly, which he seems incapable of doing. So that's the first thing to me that I'm like sort of rolling my eyes out. The second thing is, like you said, if you want to have a conversation, then you need to be willing to have a conversation, not just pontificate and then get defensive and refuse to engage which seems to be what he's been doing. I will tell you what I believe is right. Do not question me about it. I will tell you that I've changed about my approach to women. Do not question me about it. I will tell you that I've changed with regards to race. Do not question me about it. Like, look, these conversations about engaging in hard conversations about looking to one another about working across our differences are very difficult in this moment. Look, we were just on Minnesota public radio and had a woman call and was like, basically I'm outraged that you would even talk about civility. It's so privileged and nasty in this current moment to think that that's going to be the answer to everything. And what was so difficult is because even in 45 minutes, it's hard to convey that. Yes, we understand. And what we're trying to do is something that plays out over the course of our entire podcast not in a soundbite, that of course we don't think civility is the answer to everything. And if Joe Biden thinks bipartisanship is the answer to everything, he is also sorely mistaken. It is a piece of the puzzle. It is not the complete picture. But he is not willing to convey that. Look, it's a, it's a hard uphill battle in today's moment. We try to do it. You can't do it in a soundbite, and you surely can't do it when you're being defensive. And telling Cory Booker, a black man, that he needs to be the one to apologize about this conversation about reparations. Are you kidding me? And he just seems unwilling to listen to his advisors, to shift his approach. And he wants to keep doing the same thing, which is I'm the nice guy. I'm the moderate. I'll get it done. The game has changed, my friend. The game has changed. I think that's really well said, Sarah. And a thing that I think it comes back to is one that I wrestle with all the time. Joe Biden is saying, you should trust my intentions and you should give me the benefit of the doubt on all of my behaviors because you trust my intentions. And that is where most of us want to be. That's the discussion that keeps coming around about Ralph Northam and Brett Kavanaugh and Kyle Kashev. And every time one of these events happens where somebody screwed up and wants to move on from it quickly and without a lot of apology, what they're really saying is, I'm telling you what my intentions are and you should trust them. And we don't like it when we're told, actually, you aren't going to get that anymore. I think, Sarah, you've done such a beautiful job over the course of our episodes saying the benefit of the doubt is such a currency in our society. And I just think Joe Biden needs to understand 
there's a limitation to the benefit of the doubt that he gets because he was Barack Obama's vice president and that he gets from some of the really good things that he's done in public service. There's a limitation, especially when he's in a field this big and this diverse and this open and this shifting in terms of what the party stands for. I think that's even true on some process stuff. I cannot for the life of me understand why he didn't sit down and do those video interviews with the New York Times. I was thinking the same thing. And how long it took me to realize, oh, crap, Joe Biden didn't do it. Like, yeah. I, lo- I was in it. I was watching them all. I was loving them. And it literally took me like six hours later for my brain to go, hey, you, did you notice Joe Biden wasn't in that? <laughs> and I think it's been smart from a strategy perspective to try to elevate himself and to really be running against Donald Trump, not the rest of this field. But there's a limit to that. Like at some point, Joe, you gotta you gotta appear on the debate stage with these other folks, and I think this New York Times piece has been so popular because it's such a digestible way oh, to get so to know good. these people. It's really well done, and for you to say I'm so above this field that I'm not going to participate in a video set of interviews with the New York Times, friend, you need to adjust your expectations about yourself in this race. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been listening to all my relations podcast. And Matika Wilbur at one point says, you know, identity is how I see myself and how others see me. She just put it so succinctly. And I thought, oh, my God, yeah, she's right. Like, it's that conflict. And if you're a woman or from the LGBTQ community or a person of color or differently abled, you have a lot of experience with that conflict of I see myself one way and the world sees me another way. And it's so frustrating. and It's so painful. But that representation, like we talked about with the Native community, just bumping up against those stereotypes, and and you have experience with it. I feel like what we see with Northam and Kavanaugh and that kid from Harvard and Joe Biden, who I'm going to add to the list, is like exactly like you said. I'm used to my intentions being trusted and we all move on because it's so rare that my perception of myself as a white man bumps up against negative attitudes about white men. That's a new, that's a new thing we're trying out in this country where being a white male is not all 100 percent positive. And then sometimes it's going to mean people assume things about you and they're bumping up against it. And man, they are so mad. They are so mad about it that they can't just say, I don't ha-. when he said, I don't have a racist bone in my body, dude, come on. I was born a solid 60 years after you, and I am confident I have racist ideas I am still confronting and tackling every day of my life. And you want to come and say, I don't have a racist bone in my body? Like, but they're not, they're confronting that conflict and that, no, we will not give you the benefit of the doubt, and you will confront these things. And man, it's just so much pushback, and there's so much anger, and there's so much frustration and defensiveness. And it just every new controversy about this, you see it bubble up and bubble up and bubble up this. Why don't you trust me? Why are you assuming bad things about me? How dare you not let me just speak into the world that I'm not like that and you trust it? Well, welcome to the party. (laughs) The water is warm. Join us. It sucks, doesn't it? And I think these are all different ingredients floating around in the same big soup because part of the reaction for Mitch McConnell to reparations Part of the reaction that I had, I could feel in my body when we were talking to Mark Charles, there is this component of like, I never intended this. I've never Mm -hmm. intended what has happened to Native people in our country. And I have to be open to hearing how I am still complicit in it in some ways. That doesn't make me a 
horrible human being. It doesn't mean everything in my life should be taken away from me. It doesn't mean that everything I've ever believed about America and myself is wrong. It does mean I've got some thinking to do. I've got some learning to do. And if we could just hear that, that is the leadership that this country needs right now, I think. Someone who will say, you know what? I understand that there is pain for white men in the shift in their identity that we're all pushing them into right now. And as a white man, you know, if you're going to be a white man in leadership, I think a good thing to say is as a white man, I am experiencing this this pain and also realizing that it pales in comparison to the pain that people around me have experienced. And so let's work through that together. And let me sit with that for a minute and handle it. And Joe Biden is so perfectly positioned to do that. And it's just incredibly disappointing that he's choosing not to. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze Sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, 
before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I think part of the problem is when we talk about crimes against natives or we talk about slavery, it's like we get in this justice system mindset and where you do need a motive and you do need intent. And we think that that is the, you know, for good reason, it's the only system we've really ever used to try to find justice. But we got to get out of that because that's not what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with a murder. We're dealing with crimes against humanity. And we got to think about other systems or other approaches. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, issued an official apology from the state for the genocide they participated in against natives on Tuesday, the day we set out our show with Mark Charles. And I think just you could hear in Mark Charles the pain about the the way in which the United States handled its, I really don't want to even use the word apology, attempted apology. You know, working through how we sit with the pain and apologize in a real and productive way, instead of thinking, we're just going to push this through in a justice system-like way, which just the system isn't even great at dealing with, like, actual individual murders. So I don't know why we think it'd be great at this. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. You you often say, Sarah, when we talk about a particular kind of institution, that it's not up for the job that we're putting on its mm-hmm. shoulders. And I think our court system is dealing with that challenge right now. Because when you give the example of murder, that seems so clear-cut in our minds. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next Tuesday, actually. But I think about... For example, a victim of human trafficking who ends up in an abusive situation and kills the person who's been abusing them. There is nothing clear cut about motive, intent, opportunity in that scenario. There's nothing clear cut about what a just outcome is. And I think that we love the simplicity of the stories that we tell about murder, especially in this country. We tell so many stories about murder and we love the simplicity of that. And it's absent most of the time in real world examples. And so that trying to apply that framework to something as complex as a country where we applaud ourselves as a nation of immigrants, when we have the history with Native Americans that we have, and when we have the treatment of immigrants today that we have, and when among ourselves as, as communities that immigrated to the United States, we have historically fought and jockeyed for position and power and money and resources, that's really hard. And it also does not, in my mind, negate the beauty of our aspirations to be that. It's a complicated thing. So Fred asked us about competing interpretations of the Constitution, and he said, seems to me that no matter its 18th century origin, its tenets have been successfully applied to the expansion of the franchise and liberty for many people besides white male landowners. I totally agree with that. I both understand what Mark Charles is saying, and I think it's what he's saying is incredibly important. And that no matter the flawed origins of the Constitution and the people who wrote it, it has some pretty good ideas worth hanging on to in it. All of this is complicated, and it's just not going to be as straightforward as here's who's at fault and here's who isn't. And Joe Biden would do very well to have that conversation with all of us. I'm not hopeful. 
not to end on a depressing note. I just – and it's like self-perpetuating, right? Because he's polling high, he's thinking, why do I need to change and shift? What I'm doing is working, right? So it's – I guess until he sees a drop in poll numbers – he will not change tactics. And that tells me that this is just a tactic, not an actual value-based decision. That's where I'm coming around to him. This is about politics, and he's making political decisions, and he's trying to pass them off as, I'm in a position of moral leadership, when really it's, I'm in a position of leading in the polls. And you guys all just need to deal with that, especially his decision not to sit down with the New York Times. And that's all about simplicity, too, right? That is a straightforward path. I'm so angry with the Republican Party for systematically working to silence any opposition to the president. And particularly for, I mean, you want to talk about a rigged system. What the RNC is doing state by state to ensure that there's not a credible primary challenge to the president, the fact that the RNC disbanded its debate committees in advance of 2020 to ensure that the president can't draw a credible primary challenge, it's ridiculous and it's outrageous. And so if we end up in this country with Joe Biden versus Donald Trump and Joe Biden continues to make the kinds of decisions that he's making right now, then what we have are two people with very similar demographics who are very set in their ways and who both are saying, just trust me, everybody. And that frustrates me in a way that I can't really articulate. So Beth mentioned this briefly just now, but we're very excited. On Tuesday, we're going to be discussing peak true crime, how there are Cabillion true crime podcasts and streaming series and all the things, and what we think the impact of that is on our politics and on our society. And I'm very excited. I'm afraid a lot of you are going to be mad at us, but that's okay. Hard conversations here at Pantsu Politics. We look forward to joining you then. And we love hearing from you, especially on Instagram, which is where we spend most of our time. So please keep your comments and your thoughts coming. We will speak with you on Tuesday. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Cherry Haas, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>